foes, they're in business together. Danny Bush knows the Carlisle Group since years before, been raking in billions and itching for more. It's blood for oil, we know there's a link. They say code war, we say code pink. It's blood for oil, we know there's a link. They say code war, we say code pink. Go pink for freedom, go pink for peace. That was Code Pink by Emma's Revolution. I'm Danica of Code Pink. Welcome to our Code Pink radio show presented by WBAI 99.FM in New York City, WPFW 89.3 FM in Washington, D.C., KPFT 90.1 FM in Houston, KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles, and many other community radio stations like Western Mass Community Broadcasting, WMCBLP 107.9 FM. We're also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Check out our website at codepink.org forward slash radio, where you'll find all of our episodes from episode one to our most recent um, this is our final Code Pink Radio episode of the year. Um, we the second half will be doing a recap of our year in Congress with the co-founder Medea Benjamin. And our first half today, I'm very excited to have Kyle and Prairie uh from North from Fargo, North Dakota. They've been uh I just started organizing with these two and they're awesome so I wanted to have them on to talk about what they're up to in North Dakota. Um so thanks Kyle and Prairie. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Um my name's Prairie and I'm from North Dakota. Born and raised um a bartender in town and so you know community is important to me. And that's basically, I mean, that's where, that's the solid part of me is community. Hello, and I'm uh, Kyle Feltake. Um, I'm originally from a small town in rural western Minnesota, and now I'm a student in Fargo. Um, And yeah, I'm just excited to organize because, you know, back home, there really wasn't any sort of political organizing or activism at all. And although Fargo isn't, um, you know, maybe isn't like a New York or something. There's definitely a lot more excitement here. Um, so Prairie, what made you, and Kyle can answer this too, but, um, what made y'all want to start getting something going in Fargo? Well, I definitely, I got a hold of Code Pink specifically because of what is happening in Palestine we have a lot of um, Palestinian community members. And um, so I think that, you know, sparked my empathy pretty quickly. And I just don't want our love and our labor to be used against us. I think that we all need to be more engaged and need our voices to be heard by our leaders. So that's that's why I got a hold of you. Yeah, I originally, I just kind of attended, I heard about this event and then I just kind of attended not really knowing what much about it. 
And then kind of at the first meeting, I decided to get you know, more involved. Um, I think definitely as like a college student, I definitely like wanted to get more involved. Um, as I kind of mentioned before, I know with the whole, with the whole situation, um, I'm also with our student newspaper, I've also been doing a lot of writing for that and articles about um, Palestine and interviewing like, Palestinians and so forth. And I want to do more articles for that, but that was been kind of like my outlet um, in terms of like doing something about this and not just kind of sitting home and watching about it on the news or something. But definitely the more like a good opportunity like this, the more I can do. It's definitely um, a good opportunity. I'm glad I'm here to organize something, even in a place like Fargo. So you all are putting together an event for January 13th. If you're listening to this on like a podcast or whatever, and you're in the Fargo area, you all should go on the Code Pink's events page and come to it. But can you all tell us a bit about uh, your event on the 13th and what it's a teach-in. So what is the teach-in going to consist of? Yeah. Um, well, the title is from the Midwest to the Middle East, what's going on in Gaza and how our taxes are being spent. So at the beginning of the meeting, we will have a couple of community members who are Palestinian share their family's story and a little history of what is happening. And then for the second half, we will be sharing more on how our politicians are funded, where our taxes are going and how we're not so separated just because these things that are happening seem far away. There's, it's still very close to home. Sweet. Yeah, I think an important part of it is, you know, highlighting Palestinian voices and giving them like giving them a platform and kind of getting community members to listen to them because I don't know, like a lot of people think like, oh, it's Palestine, it's you know, halfway across the globe, there's no Palestinians in our community or really any I mean, maybe there's somewhere in like a big city, but I mean really Palestinians are like everywhere. Um, you know, and likewise on like the more kind of tax and funding side to shoe of it, which is kind of like the other half of the event. Um, like the, our involvement is, you know, everywhere, like APAC donates to Fargo politicians or the North Dakota politicians. Um, and yeah, this is our tax. And of course we pay taxes, you know. Well, that sounds like it's going to be a great event. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm really hoping I could I I could I could come. I know I told you guys I had like a retirement party that day, but I think it got moved. So I I'm gonna try and make it out to North Dakota from Illinois. So we'll see how that goes. But um what what do you hope that will stick with people the most from the teaching that you have going on? My hope is that it will empower my community that um we can gather and educate each other and empower each other to feel that our voices do matter, that we can make change and just to, you know, enhance our empathy and to feel like our voices matter. That's really what I hope. Yeah. Likewise, I think it can be very like alienating and isolating just to kind of see and read about these like catastrophes and social problems just like as a like a news consumer or something i think it's really important 
you know, to have this community aspect of you know, um, talking to people, um, organizing, like sending a message um, as a community and not just someone on, you know, a social media site or something. So I really kind of like what Prairie was saying, I really kind of hope people feel like supported and kind of encouraged by seeing each other um, and know that there's a lot of people out there who support um, are like in like in agreement. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, how, how do you all think that the people who attend the event in Fargo will receive it? Whether, um, you know, we were talking about the RSVP list a little and Prairie said that she didn't recognize any of the names, which I think is a great thing for a first event, um, that you're hosting is to have lots of new faces. Um, and assuming that there might be like a variety of people, like there may be people attending who, um, you know, October was sort of the first time they've ever heard about this thing, what's happening in Palestine generally, maybe. Um, so how do you think people will, will be able to receive the event or how are you hoping people will receive it? Um, yeah, I mean, I hope that we have people of all starting points, you know, I hope that if we can offer some education or guidance or or to get education and guidance for people who know more than I do. I think all of that is what we're hoping for. And I, I feel like people will receive it in curiosity. I think that people want to gather um, and, and support each other and want to learn. And maybe I'm being a little hopeful, but that is that I, I do believe that. I think that we're a very community oriented um space like um and, and locally minded and I think that hopefully everybody is coming to express those things in curiosity yeah on top of just um increasing like one's knowledge and education about the topic I feel like another important thing is people will like want to hopefully share about this and kind of feel like you know it's much easier to talk about something when you can actually like Know, talk to other people in the community and not just oh it's something I heard about on the news um, I feel like oh yeah last night or last week I attended this you know event where I learned about all this stuff and I met these people I feel like people are going to be a lot more you know supportive and um, encouraged to share and just kind of be more involved um, in the future so yeah I will say that I, I've seen uh, Prairie and Kyle have a plan for next steps for people. So if you come to the teaching and you're quite excited to get engaged, you will have an opportunity to do so. Um, and I think it's a good event to have. And I I do think the Midwest gets kind of overlooked in like movement spaces, like actually the whole middle of the country, <laughs> all of it gets kind of overlooked. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But um generally for folks war um and imperialism can kind of feel like something far away like that we have no sway or impact over because it's such a large and um far-reaching issue what do you feel like people's roles in the u.s and specifically north dakota are well i think our local governments do very much so affect our federal government and our federal government is very much so participating in the war machine making money off the war machine so i think 
in North Dakota, we need to be mindful of our local politicians. We also have a big oil industry here, and we have some pretty big um, military bases here. So we need to be engaging in how those those um, resources or those industries are affecting other parts of the country and other parts of the world. So I think, I mean, I think we have a lot of stake in this really. Yeah, North Dakota overall is kind of very like apolitical in, that, in the sense that, I mean, politics isn't like a super huge deal compared to a lot of other places and uh, everyday people's lives. But I feel like people definitely still care about these issues if you kind of talk to them and provide them with opportunities to do something about it. Um, that they really, historically, there may have not have been a lot of those. Um, but I think like just because, you know, it's far away and people in a way become apathetic towards like wars in the Middle East and whatever is going on in the Middle East. Um, it's because we've always, I mean, for like as a young person, my whole life, we've had something going on over there um, can be a little desensitizing in that matter. But I feel like that's just the more, more reasons why we should be caring about it. And I feel like, um, People I know definitely, once you kind of start talking to them, they definitely um, are do care a lot more about it. Um, and if you're able to provide those, that further like education and resources and like opportunities to get involved, they're definitely um, a lot more supportive. And I feel like another, on a different note, like a lot of like this activism, you know, it's not like we're going to single-handedly, you know, flip a Senate seat or something that's going to vote for, you know, a ceasefire first or something. But just kind of like a lot of it is just kind of showing like solidarity and support for like Palestinians, um, just for Palestinians living in the in our here in our community or in like Gaza. Um, kind of like part a part of me that really gets frustrated is like during the Ukraine war, there was a lot of like solidarity and support um, for Ukrainians um, for a variety of reasons, which we won't go into. Um, but that really hasn't happened at all here in this situation and that's really disheartening um and i can't imagine what it actually feel like to be palestinian and just kind of be ignored um so for me that's kind of the biggest thing um but it's definitely we'll talk yeah yeah i know i know we just started working together but are, is there was there any moment that, that either of you or both of you felt like particularly like juiced and excited or inspired about um, getting this going? I think there's been a couple times that I've felt inspired in planning with you and um, you know Kyle jumping on and having that in just having another person to talk to in the community is inspiring. And then of course the engagement that we've all been in and being excited and kind of, and willing just that's inspiring on its own. I think that it can be isolating to be feeling like this despair and empathy and compassion and just maybe not seeing it as, profoundly as you would like in your community so just just having you two 
has been inspiring and yeah, I'm grateful. Thanks. Yeah, I've always wanted to get involved in organizing and as someone who kind of like grew up in a place where there was almost no progressive organizing or like any organizing at all. Um, it's just definitely very inspiring to see how kind of simple and straightforward it all is like, um, you know, it's not rocket science. Um, it just kind of takes some time and effort and you can, you know, organize an event and it's it's I'd imagine it's going to feel pretty good once we um, actually organize and have the event. I think it will too. And yeah, every call I have with you, you all, I get, I get so happy and excited. So um, what, is there something that you, cause I get that this, this radio show goes on um, in like major cities like New York and, and LA and Houston and all that. What do you want people to know about where you're from? Um, I think North Dakotans are compassionate. I think it gets really cold here. And so kind of regardless of whether we agree on any certain thing, we do out of necessity um, or maybe just instinct take care of each other. And um, you don't get to see that in, you know, the, the national headlines or not necessarily through our leaders either, but that um, we really are community oriented and really do take care of each other. And I think that um, we do have the ability to expand that outside of our immediate communities. And I'm hoping to see that. Yeah, so I feel like both sides, whether you're like you're a progressive activist or like those in power who are perpetrating this, um, kind of ignore places like Fargo in North Dakota, in the Midwest, and overall in a lot of middle America. Um, but I think that's really that kind of like how often we're ignored and no one really kind of considers um our perspective is kind of why we are so valuable in times like this. Um, because when people like a lot of powerful people, they like expect, yeah, people in New York, DC, they're going to protest. That's just going to be expected. But it's kind of when you see, this is kind of like my reading, but when you kind of see people in like places like Fargo, North Dakota, or in the middle of like Louisiana or something, or, you know, wherever, um, it's then that kind of sends a bigger message that this is just more than just some, you know, angry students and a couple organizers in DC. Um, it kind of shows that this is like a national thing that um, is much bigger. And yeah. I know we just got started, but do you all have any advice for people who would want to get something going like this where they live? Um, yeah, do it nervous. Do it scared. <laughs> do it nervous you know um what is it bravery is looking your fears in the face and doing it anyway and that we don't have to be you know geniuses we don't have to be saints um we get to show up as humans in our intentions good intentions hopefully and that's all of this is just like being together and working towards something so i think that 
it can be intimidating. I definitely was even nervous to do this right now. And um, I also find comfort and validation through it. So I think that I personally get to grow by experiencing that kind of fight past the nerves. And yeah, we don't have to be perfect, We, but we can be and be better. Yeah, I've definitely learned that kind of once you get like a group of people, whether it's just, you know, us, you know, three or four people, it definitely is a lot easier and so much more manageable. Um, If you just think about something like when you're thinking of by yourself, like, oh, this needs to be done, this, 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 and then these 20 things that need to be done, even if there's just small things, um, that can be very overwhelming. Um, Even like reaching out to people like, oh, I only know so many people. Um, but once you kind of get that first initial group in, um, it's really allows you to easily expand and just kind of grow um, and manage the whole, manage the whole um, work process well. So I think definitely get that initial group and sky's the limit. That's so real. I think if the four of us, uh, Rena, who's been organizing with us, isn't on the, isn't on the show, but um, if the four of us were ever randomly paired together for a like uh, high school group project, I feel like we would have such an easy breezy time with it. Um, the division of labor has been heavenly. So um, I want to thank you both for coming on. And if you're in North Dakota, I really, really encourage everyone to check out the event on January 13th. You can go to Code Pink's event calendar to find more info on it. Um, but it's going to be a great event, it sounds like. And thank you to Prairie and Kyle. Um, you're listening to Code Pink Radio presented through Pacifica Radios, WPFW in Washington, D.C., WBAI in New York City, KPFT in Houston, KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles. And we'll be right back after this break to hear from Code Pink co-founder Medea Benjamin. اهدى ما هو كل شي باين في المحنة الله بيشهد مين احنا رجالة ضمن طر تشلق بنضرب حرب الليلة ما بنغلب بدك جبال وعادي من هدلك مرحب فيك في ولاد القدس من دبر حالنا نحل اللغز رنات على نفحة وكل بخش وقت شفنا وياما وكل بصف ولا مرة نخاف ولا مرة ونص بدك بركان بنفقع بنعمل لك حفلة خش تنط نستخدم مال بس بدنا نقص ما هو كله عارف ما هو كله شايف ما هو كله خايف والدنيا ترص استجدع دايما ووعك بوحش انا ادرينالين فاجع بشباب بينضرب الغاز احنا الجد عين مش زي نجلير رد بالك عم تعيشها بلاش سوي واعمل واجمع كاش ما الدنيا صعيبه وبدها سلام سيبك من روح بحضر لك جاي انا قرش انا قرش انا قرش انا سمكه وصحابي ملان في الجلمه منش نعم نعمل غلبه تجينا يا خالي مناخد العتبه تخوف بالليل نضويلك عتمه بس شوف تنساش انا زي النوس ليه فتاك في بغز رجال تحفر انفاق ترجع بشوال وملاناش لا بلاجين 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 بالجدع انا انا فاتح دكان من بيع شلسات والدم مسموح بس للسباع مكتوب على القرمه لو غاد احنا جن بنطلع ما بتشوفناش ودموع ما تسيل اذا فش مسيل نحن الشجعين ان قد انا اوينه وبوم بخ وطني بيع مزينه وكيف بس صوت وسولاد والشيل حط كله طرح بمكانه وان ان قد انا اوينه وبوم بخ وطني بيع مزينه وكيف بس صوت وسولاد والشيل حط كله طرح بمكانه حطيت بالرعب من الارض نطلع زي جن دخ هدي اللعب على هذا نترك على النار لفكار تنطخ اخترق ورا حدا اذا بلغ انا مش مركب بركبش مع حدا انا فين ان امكن
باشا حبيتي بيكفي فلاشا مفيش روح حميم انا يوم بحتاجك اجيك نعمل بلجان بطريقة طليق تفصيل على عدا العدل شاب جديد انا جيك ببور بالطور بالعرض وماكينة عريض وفريد من نوعه كمين المخا كل مين باع واختفى صدوا الوقت ولا عمره ارتخى يكتم سر برنفته رادارها لساب على طول بيعرفكو شو دبور على طول وبيقول واو الهم قد انا اوانا وهم بخ وطني بيع مزانا وفيك بس عرصات وسولاد والشال حط كل طرح بمكانا الهم قد انا اوانا وهم بخ وطني بيع مزانا وفيك بس عرصات وسولاد والشال حط كل طرح بمكانا الهم قد انا اوانا وهم بخ وطني بيع مزانا وفيك بس عرصات وسولاد والشال حط كل طرح بمكانا الهم قد انا اوانا وهم بخ وطني بيع مزانا وفيك بس عرصات وسولاد والشال حط كل طرح بمكانا Welcome back, everyone. I'm Danica from Code Pink. You're listening to Code Pink Radio, presented by WBAI in New York City, WPFW in Washington, D.C., KPFT in Houston, KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles. And I'm super happy to be talking to Code Pink co-founder Medea Benjamin today. Hi, Medea. Hey, Danica. Nice to be on with you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for taking the time. So this is... Uh, like I've said before on the show, the last episode of Code Pink Radio for the for 2023. So I sort of wanted to do a recap with you of your year being in Congress. I'm sure anyone who follows Code Pink on anything or follows you on anything has seen you in the halls of Congress doing various actions, sit-ins, disruptions, lobby days, office visits. Um, what have you observed about the anti-war message being received or not being received in the last year, either by staffers or members of Congress? Well, in the last year before this latest horrific episode in Gaza, I was focused on Ukraine and traveling around the country with uh, my book about the Ukraine war and in Congress trying to gather support for uh, ending the war instead of keep fueling the war. And first of all, it was very hard to build momentum for that on the outside in terms of grassroots support because people were very confused about the Ukraine war. Uh, many people who were traditional uh, supporters of the peace movement thought that uh, this was an exception, and this war is one that should be supported. So uh, it was hard. And then in the halls of Congress, it was really weird because the only people we found that were, quote, on our side in terms of wanting to stop funding the war, push for a ceasefire, were these right-wing Republicans like Marjorie Taylor Greene and the whole Freedom Caucus. So it was very, very difficult. And not even the squad or Barbara Lee or the usual allies we have in Congress uh, were there for us. So it was frustrating. It, it was um, it seemed like things were upside down. We knew we were in the right position because war is never the answer. And it was important to stop the U.S. from sending billions and billions and billions of tax dollars um, to keep a war going that could not be solved on the battlefield. And yet at that moment, the Democrats had been uh, hammered on uh, to believe they had to support Biden's position. So that's where we were 
until October 7th. And it's really funny because it seems like ages ago now, but we were doing a protest inside Bernie Sanders' office the week of uh, that first week of October and getting arrested in his office, quoting his own words, saying that there needed to be negotiations, but yet he refused to call for that Um quoting his own words from like uh, months before that. Um, so anyway, that was the situation up until October 7th. And then maybe we could talk about since then. Yeah, I was wondering because we've been seeing a lot of stuff come out from the Biden administration staffers and um, also congressional staffers. You know, there have been situations where members of like staff members have quit their jobs because their bosses won't call for a ceasefire. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit any specifics of, that you've been uh, doing in Congress for Gaza specifically and how maybe the staffers are reacting different than their bosses? Yeah, well, it's a totally different situation now with Gaza. Of course, we know that there's a huge grassroots movement all over the country. Every day as I look on social media, I'm just stunned by all the amazing actions that are happening around the country and around the world. And then in terms of Congress, what you see is this unbelievable disconnect between what the opinion polls show in the United States, which which is majorities calling a ceasefire, which you see in terms of uh, the UN, uh, of the overwhelming majority calling a ceasefire. And of course, the horrific suffering that we see every day going on in Gaza. And yet Congress and the White House are in their own uh, horrific bubble that continue to um, support Israel. And so when we go in these offices, it's like hitting your head against the wall day after day because we go in with so much emotion and so much um, determination. And uh, sometimes we're met with uh, the the members of Congress themselves, if we catch them, I mean, they won't meet with us, but you know, if they happen to walk through the door in their room, we're like, ah, you know, come talk to us. Or we'll see them in the hall and we'll run around and make a circle around them. Uh, they do not want to talk to us. In terms of the staff, Sometimes you get staff that, uh, this was in the, the first couple of weeks, um, were definitely opposed to us and would even fight back about Israel having the right to defend itself, Hamas or terrorists, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but this started changing after it became clear and clearer that what Israel was doing was not self-defense, it was uh, a genocide. Uh, of course, they would never use the word. And if you actually use the word genocide, um, they'll often just stop talking to you. So we say mass slaughter or other things like that. Um, but uh, things started changing and we get a number of the uh, staff hire up people um, who start saying, yes, yes, yes. They agree with the, uh, us on many points, um, but um, the staff that are the um, the less senior ones, and especially the ones that are answering the phones at the front desk, they are very sympathetic. Sometimes they'll run out into the halls after we leave to just say, thank you, thank you for coming, keep it up. What you're doing really makes a difference. 
Um, sometimes we'll see them in the cafeteria and they come running up to us and say the same kind of thing. Uh, in one of the offices, we found a young intern who was wears a keffiyeh every day into work. And it's not one of the most progressive offices. And we said to her, you know, don't you ever get like negative feedback or don't they tell you not to wear that? She says, on the contrary, uh, the only feedback I get is positive. And another time, Somebody uh, told us that they have a Palestinian flag on their desk in the back office and the uh, their boss never says a word about it. So, you know, there's a lot of sympathy. You know that the uh, there's the staff in Congress wrote letters um, signed by hundreds of them uh, saying they disagreed with the, uh, the policies of, of Congress and the White House. Uh, there were even, we met at, a, at an event once, a young intern who was working at the White House, and he was saying, you know, he loved what we were doing and the protests were so important. And he says, keep your eye out because we interns are going to be doing our own letter as interns from the White House. And sure enough, the next week, there was this great letter from interns in the White House. So, you know, you see a couple of things, Danica. One, you as a young person know the this administration has lost the young generation on this issue. And there is such uh, a difference in the opinion polls about what young people think and older people. And the other is that um, the the uh, so many people and especially young people have become so cynical about government. If they weren't cynical before, they're so cynical now. And, you know, this is good and bad. It's good in that people see through. You know, we've been doing protests around APAC and the influence that this pro-Israel lobby has and showing the numbers in each office we go to. In some offices, over a million dollars taken by this pro-Israel group. Some of these offices have Israeli flags outside of their office. And you say, you know, who are they representing, the American people or the Israeli government? And so people are starting to see through and uh, understand that this is not a democracy. Uh, this is legalized bribery we have in this country. And especially when it comes to this issue of Israel-Palestine, uh, we see that not just the Jewish pro-Israel groups like APAC, but also Christian evangelical groups like Kufi, uh, they have poured so much money into this system and so distorted our politics um, but uh, we do see a lot of cracks, and those cracks are coming from the next generation, both outside and inside, both in Congress and the White House. Well, that's awesome, Adia. I think a lot of people can sort of start to feel like hopeless, and then there's not any movement happen happening, so it's always good to focus on the positives. Like, he really has lost young people, so that's... and to, and to see the statements coming out of the White House is, is particularly inspiring for me, at least. Um, you've done of of you've done a, quite the variety of actions, I think, uh, in in the cap in the in Congress over the last year, um, even in the last two and a half months. Are there any that you've done funny ones, like you did a Christmas one where you were delivering candy canes, um, and you had Santa with you, uh. And you've done more serious ones. I was just wondering if you have like two or three that were particularly meaningful for you. 
Yes, a couple of them. One was when we did a women's focus and we got about, I think it was over 80 women who came to join us. There were so many of us that the police just freaked out at the sight of us. Uh, almost everybody wearing a keffiyeh and, you know, you're not allowed to carry signs in the halls, but uh, the keffiyeh itself is a sign. And uh, we had bibs on, too, that say stop Israeli war crimes uh, and um, walking down the halls with this massive group of women, so many that we couldn't fit in the offices. We just kept spilling out uh, and focusing on uh, the mothers, the children, um, that was very, very impactful. Another was working with a new group called Doctors Against Genocide, and we've been helping them as they developed and as they started doing these kinds of meetings and, and uh, in Congress for the first time, because Danica, a lot of the people who's been with us in the last two and a half months have never been in Congress before, much less had meetings, much less stormed into offices demanding that they listen to us or doing sit-ins or getting arrested in the offices. So this is brand new. And for these doctors, uh, just to see how the staff kind of perk up when uh, these uh, people with their white coats come marching in and saying, you know, we need, this is an, a medical emergency. We need to talk to uh, the chief of staff here. Uh, that that has been um, wonderful to see that group just blossom because now they have thousands of doctors around the country uh, who are involved. And as a result of that, we helped birth a new group called Teachers Against Genocide. And uh, we went through Congress going to visit all the members of the education committee. And we had a lesson plan and it was a great thing. We'd go into the offices and they'd pull out the, the lesson plan for today. And they'd say, this is, we're starting at the very basics. And the lesson plan would be uh, bombing bad, ceasefire good. Uh, and we go through each of the, uh, the um, offices with that lesson plan. Um, we also had uh, used um, uh, the notebooks that teachers use. And as soon as you open the notebook, it would have a message on it. Um, so those were, were quite clever. Uh, yes, when we did our, our delivery of uh, coal, meaning rubble from Gaza, and also candy canes. It was quite humorous because in some of the offices, they said, you can't leave a candy can. We're not allowed to accept gifts. And this was at the very time we were taking the sign saying how much money they had taken from APAC. So we'd say, oh, you can take $1.2 million from, uh, from APAC, but you can't take a candy cane from groups that want to see an end to this slaughter in Gaza. Uh, so those are some of the examples of uh, the kind of lobbying that we've been doing and the different groups that we've helped to birth and uh, mentor through this process of recognizing that um, the Congress should belong to us, that these should be people's houses, that the hall should be for the people. And so to be demanding our rights and demanding that they represent us. What do you think people outside of D.C. Uh, need to know about how members of Congress are reacting to what's happen happening in Gaza? 
Well, the pressure is working right now. I think what is it, Danica? Over 60 members of Congress have called for a ceasefire. And in the Senate, it's uh, six right now, six out of 100. It's miserable. It's disgusting. It's ridiculous. But uh, the pressure is working as they become more and more shamed in their home districts and in by the uh, visits that groups like us are making in Congress. Um, they are moving to getting closer and closer to declaring a, a call for a ceasefire. Um, so the pressure at home is the most important pressure, really. Uh, they feel it when their constituents are rallying outside their offices or get inside their offices or uh, are able to confront them in one of their holiday gatherings or leaving their home in the morning or wherever. I mean, those are very, very, very effective. And we try to complement that here in D.C. and oftentimes working together with the local groups like we just did with Tammy Baldwin. We've been working on her uh, you know, in Wisconsin for a long time. We go to her office constantly. And the people in Wisconsin have been so good uh, at um, uh, finding wherever they can to confront her, to urge her to get different constituencies like uh, religious ones, like people in the black community, like people in the, um, uh, in the unions. And it finally worked and she finally called for a ceasefire. So it's that kind of pressure uh, coming from the district, from the state, coming from us in DC um, that really can turn these people who are so reluctant to do the right thing. Thank you. I So the Senate went into recess um, and they're on recess currently for the holiday break. And they did so without passing that huge bill that would give money to Ukraine uh, and Israel. I think it was like $105 billion, $106 billion. Um, how, how, what's your reaction to them going on recess without passing that? Do you think it was just too much political division between the Demo Democrats and Republicans? Or do you think it had more to do with um, the reaction from the general public? I think it's the divisions that they have about how to put forward that bill because the Republicans want to add all this horrible stuff about immigration. Uh, and I wish it was more because of us, uh, but I think it's really because they can't get their act together. Uh, but it does give us more time. And that is great because every day that we have to put more pressure on them uh, is important. Uh, the fact that this money for Israel didn't just sail through a couple of weeks ago uh, is meaningful. And when that vote does happen, it will show us exactly who is who and give us a very clear picture of where to put our energies. I mean, right now, all these people who have called for a ceasefire, are they going to turn around and vote for $14 billion for uh, the, the, the genocide in Gaza? Uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of them are going to do that. Um, but I, I do think that um, we have to use the next couple of weeks uh, to keep the pressure on uh, to move uh, uh, those who are calling for a ceasefire to move them to say they're not going to vote for more money for Israel. Um, now, there are a lot of uh, senators now who are talking about putting conditions on that money. Bernie Sanders has been leading that 
Uh, and, um, you know, that's better than nothing. Uh, certainly, we want zero money. If there were a way to send minus money, uh, <laughs> that's what I would want. Uh, let Israel pay us back for all that money we've given them. Uh, but that's not where we are yet in Congress. But I think it's really great, Danica, that we're starting to build this movement that says taking money from APAC is bad, that that's blood money. Uh, the New York, uh, the, the movement in New York City did this amazing demonstration uh, down the, the to marching to the headquarters in New York of APAC um, with these huge uh, signs with the bobbleheads of some of the uh, Chuck Schumer and um, Senator Gillibrand and Representative uh, Torres about how much money they took from APAC. Uh, we've been doing that, putting the signs on their doors, uh, saying sold to APAC for X amount of money. Uh, I think that is an important movement to do and that everybody could go on to opensecrets.org and look up how much their senator or their representatives have taken from these pro-Israel groups uh, and make a big issue of that because as the elections come up, uh, APAC says it's going to put $100 million into trying to defeat everybody who's called for a ceasefire. So we have a lot of work to do, a lot of organizing to do. But I must say, I never would have thought we'd been able to move as many people on Congress as we've been able to so far. And I never thought I'd see this level of uh, organizing on the ground um, as I see now. So that definitely gives me some sliver of hope in these horrible, horrible times. Just before uh, we had you on the show today, we had two of our Code Pink organizers in North Dakota who just started a new chapter. Um, and they're planning a teach-in on Palestine upcoming in January. So there's a lot going on in January. So I want everyone to stay tuned. There's going to be probably two really big votes in the Senate, um, one Bernie Sanders specific uh, bill on arms sales to Israel. And then also um, maybe the Ukraine Israel funding uh, will be voted on in January. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Medea, how can people stay in touch with you? Are you going to go back to being in the halls of Congress as soon as they're out of recess? Uh, yes, I'm very excited about going back as soon as they come back on the week of January 8th. And I think we have to have massive numbers waiting for them. When they come back, we have to be visible in the House, in the Senate, in the cafeterias, in the halls, wherever. So anybody who's in the D.C. area that wants to join us, uh, they can contact me. Maybe uh, an easy way would be to write to info at codepink.org and you can pass it on to me. Uh, and um, we really need to ramp it up big time in January. So whether it's in Washington, D.C. or in places around this country, we have a lot of work to do. If you can't join us in person, please stay engaged on social media. Get involved in local organizing activities and show support by signing our petitions. By the way, Danica, Code Pink is currently leading an initiative to launch a petition calling on United Nations members to invoke the Genocide Convention at the International Court of Justice and prosecute Israel for acts of genocide in Gaza. Before we go, 
Let's listen to journalist and filmmaker Abby Martin's analysis on why Israel's actions meet the criteria of genocide. The genocidal intent that we've seen laid explicitly bare by Israeli ministers and media officials, you couple that with the direct targeting of civilian infrastructure and civilians, and then you couple that with the collective punishment and stated goal of collective punishment with cutting off food and water and aid for everyone, that's genocide. I mean, that matches three articles of the Genocide Convention. It's undeniable. There's no arguing this fact. And so it's really important to talk about context, of course, but like at the same time, Israel's committing the greatest crime that a state can commit, the greatest, most egregious crime against humanity right now, and they must be stopped. Um, You know, it's really fascinating because as we see Palestinians being able to dictate their own reality through social media and Israel losing control of that narrative, at the same time, it's kind of this this bizarre contradiction where you see Israelis proudly filming their depravity. Um, it's kind of an unending level of depravity on the ground as they are invading Gaza, looting people's homes, rustling through women's under undergarments, um, destroying shops that probably have taken decades um, or entire generations to accumulate these things there. It is horrific. I mean, we study genocides. We study atrocities in the past, like the Milai massacre, the Haditha massacre in Iraq. I mean, these things defined the the horrific nature of of these invasions and occupations. But we're seeing this play out real time. Hadithas and Milai massacres are happening every day, every day. Um, And it's coupled with that exposure from Israelis themselves showing this is what happens when you have indoctrination from cradle to grave. This is the the disgusting behavior that comes out of that. And we're just seeing the pictures match what we've all studied in history books from genocides past. It's unfolding real time. It's being live streamed. And the journalists on the ground were only realizing what's happening because of them. They are heroes, the 90 that have been murdered, um, They've given our their lives for us to see the truth, to see the reality that Israel is committing. I mean, the, the crimes are laid bare because of these heroes on the ground, and we have to honor them, and we have to fight for them. They're taking them out because they don't want the truth revealed. It is so obvious, and no one else can get away with that. And that is why my colleagues who worked on the Great March of Return film, Gaza Fights for Freedom, are trying to remain anonymous because they've told me if, look, you were just talking about that spy software, Israel tracks everyone's cell phones in Gaza. They know who's in the buildings. We saw from 972 Mag, that article about Israel's assassination factory. They know every person in these homes. They know if there's a three-year-old girl there and they, they blast them apart and they blow their bodies to bits because they say it was worth it. It was worth it. So they know everyone who's there. They know who's a journalist. They know who's a civilian. They know who's a child. They know who's a baby. And they're pulling those triggers and they're dropping those bombs anyway. And my friends are trying to remain anonymous because they don't want to be killed. They don't want their entire families to be massacred. And they know that they're tracking their SIM cards. And so I'm trying to relay their messages as best that I can. But it is so heartbreaking to know that the three main people who helped make that film possible the field producer who made everything possible in that film has been rendered homeless twice. He's sleeping under tarps with his family. The, the winter's here. 
right? I mean, there's, there's feet of water that they're wading through, sewage. There's no food. He has one piece of bread for his family that, they're, that, they, that they've lasted for five days and there's no food left, no water left. My other colleague who worked on the documentary, the incredible videographer that filmed everything and risked his life every week evading bullets to film what happened at the Great March of Return. His two brothers were martyred. He was scared to return to the North to retrieve their bodies. And he um, finally did and was able to give them a proper burial, but his house was blown to bits. And he just told me, he said, this was everything that I had for my children and it's just gone in a scream. Um, and so we just have to keep it up, you guys. I know it's really taxing on our mental health. It's been very difficult um, to wade through the horrors uh, that humanity has brought us at this point in time. But we just have to, I mean, do what you can, obviously. Um, and that means being out in the streets if you can, uplifting the voices of Palestinians if you can, arguing, I mean, putting, putting it out there with your colleagues, your friends, your family. This is the moment. This is the moment where we have to put the truth at the forefront. We have to keep going on behalf of our brothers and sisters there. If you are in the DC area and want to join Medea in Congress, or if you want to go to an event locally, um, we're putting up events all the time on the Code Pink website. So please go there to stay engaged, or you can organize with us too and sign up to be an organizer. Um, and on behalf of Code Pink, I want to wish everyone a happy new year. And hopefully in the new year, as soon as possible, we will see a ceasefire in Gaza. Um, thank you for listening to Code Pink Radio, presented by WBAI in New York City, WPFW in Washington, D.C., KPFT in Houston, KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles. Bush and Bin Laden, you think they're foes? They're in business together. Danny Bush knows the Carlisle Group since years before. Been raking in billions and itching for more. It's blood for oil. 